Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 53 of the show. It's been a few weeks since we've been on. Uh, Major League Baseball has officially wrapped up their season. We have a World Series champion. The NFL is about halfway through their season. Now we're in week nine of a 17-game schedule. College football has been shaken up quite a bit since the last episode. And, of course, the NHL has been off and running for a couple weeks now. And the NBA has officially kicked off their season, so we'll get into all of that, do some standings and rankings updates there. And, of course, around the island has plenty of Noteworthy information as usual, uh, but we're going to start off like normal in the PGA Tour and uh, just do a little recap of three events that have happened since the last episode. The first one was the CJ Cup at Summit, which was about three or four weeks ago, and it was at the Summit Club in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a par 72 distance with 7,431 yards. Uh, beautiful course in Vegas, uh, CJ Cup. And uh, a lot of big-name players out for this one. Pretty much all the top-ranked players in the world uh, participated in this one. Uh, But at the end of it, Rory McIlroy was your winner at 25 under par. Uh, Played a good, solid tournament. It was actually his 20th victory on tour for Rory. And he became the seventh youngest player to 20 wins since 1960. Uh, He's behind the likes of Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Phil Mickelson. All right, Rory's only 32 years old and uh, seventh youngest to win 20 events on tour. So uh, big-name tournaments bring out the big-name players. It's a big purse tournament as well. Uh, so McElroy finished at 25 under par, which was one shot ahead of Colin Morikawa, uh, who finished at 24 under par and solo second. Now, Morikawa shot a 10-under 62 in that final round to make things interesting. Uh, thought he was going to win uh, with that, that bogey-free 10-under par, but uh, Rory shot a 6-under 66 in Sunday's final round and that one to, to reclaim the, uh, the title there. There was a two-way tie for third at 22 under par with Keith Mitchell and Ricky Fowler. Ricky looked good. You know, Ricky's kind of been struggling here over the last couple years, really. Um, Used to be kind of a top five, top ten machine in major tournaments. uh, And then just kind of fell off the map. Took him a while to get his game back. But even last year, he started to kind of regain it. Looked pretty good. Um Three-way tie, four-way tie for fifth, rather. Taylor Gooch, Aaron Wise, Sam Burns, and Adam Scott all finished at 21 under par. So a few shots back, a Rory. Um, some other notables, 
Uh, Xander Schauffele, Justin Thomas, and Jordan Spieth, they all finished at 18 under par. Victor Hovland was in that group as well. Uh, Dustin Johnson finished, uh, well, Brooks Kepka, Tommy Fleetwood at 15 under, and Dustin Johnson at 14 under. So uh, they were quite a few shots behind Rory and uh, Morikawa. But all in all, it was a good tournament. Like I said, the scene at, at the summit, uh, just a beautiful course uh, in a beautiful city, of course, Las Vegas. The tournament the following weekend was overseas in Japan. It was the Zozo Championship. That was at the Golf Narashino Country Club in Shiba, Japan. It's a par 70 uh, distance, quite a bit shorter, 7,041 yards, about 400 yards shorter than Summit. And uh, and this one, this was actually um, not as close as it probably should have been. Um, Japan countryman Hideki Matsuyama. He ended up winning the Zozo Championship in his home country with a score of 15 under par. And he played good golf all weekend long. Um, finished up Sunday's final round with a 5 under round of 65. And there was a two-way tie for second at 10 under. So five shots back of Matsuyama was Brendan Steele and Cameron Tringali. Um, that just goes to show you, I mean, obviously Matsuyama, he played pretty well in the Olympics, uh, when the Olympic event was over there, um, this past summer. And, uh, he kind of carried that over into the Zozo. Just, uh, obviously he's played enough golf in Japan. He knows the greens. That course was beautiful too. Um, pretty challenging course, you know, for a, for a par 70, um, your winning score 15 under, that's actually really good. Uh, 10 under is about where you would expect that number to be. But Matsuyama obviously was playing with uh, the home course advantage, so to speak. Um, the next closest after that, that pair at 10 under was a trio at 6 under pars. Mackenzie Hughes, Matt Wallace, and Sebastian Munoz. Uh, some, you know, there was a few other big name uh, players in this tournament. Um, Tommy Fleetwood and Colin Morikawa. Uh, Morikawa, of course, fresh off of his uh, solo second the week prior at the CJ Cup. He finished T7th at 5-under. Uh, of course, he was um, uh, in the playoff hole for the bronze medal uh, in Japan just a few months ago at the Olympics. So he was 10 shots back of Matsuyama, which was a T7, which is not bad considering he was 10 shots back. Uh, he opened with a 1-over, but managed to reel it in and and finish at five under through his final three rounds. Um, some other notable finishes, uh, Olympic gold medalist Xander Shoffley. He, um, of course, dominated the field in the Olympics. He finished even par, which was T28. There was a group of about seven guys there. Joaquin Neiman also played well in the Olympics. Uh, he finished at even par. And uh, Ricky Fowler was at three over. We just talked about him, the CJ Cup. Uh, so there, you know, Will Zalatoris, that was his first time uh, in Japan playing, and he was at six over. So, uh, you know, he played. He actually, what's funny about Zalatoris is he, he opened one under par and then shot six over and three over in his next two rounds. But, uh yeah, I mean, not a whole lot of big names in this one. Obviously, being in Japan, guys didn't want to travel. But uh, it was a good tournament. 
Uh, not Again, not really competitive. Matsuyama kind of had this thing wrapped up. He opened with a 6-under, closed with a 5-under, and that was pretty much all she wrote uh, for the Zozo. The weekend after that, uh, which was last weekend, uh, was the Bermuda Championship, and that was at the Port Royal Golf Course in Southampton, Bermuda. And again, on the theme of beautiful golf courses, of course, now we're we're in the fall, fall transitioning into winter. So uh, the fall, you know, they obviously play it. The PGA goes to places um, that are warm and uh, have good weather. So obviously Bermuda is a, a great place there. Uh, really not a whole lot of names, big names in this tournament at all. Um, you know, fresh off of the Japan, a lot of guys took the weekend off especially the big-name players. Um, there were a couple guys that played in Japan and then played here as well. But your winner of the Bermuda Championship was Lucas Herbert, the Australian. He won at 15 under par. Uh, so Port Royal Golf Course, it's a par 71. All right, Distance was 6,828 yards, so uh, about 175 yards shorter than the um, the. Zozo Championship and uh, about 600 yards shorter than the CJ Cup. So pretty short course at Bermuda. A lot of wind, of course. It's a, it's a ocean course, so it's pretty windy. But Her- uh, Herbert won with 15 under par. His, uh, his opening round was one under. Closing round was two under. But in between, he shot a pair of 65s, which is six under in each of those rounds. So... 15-under was your winner. There was a, a pair of players at 14-under par, which finished T2. It was Patrick Reed and Danny Lee. Now, Reed looked good. Um, Reed was in contention from start to finish in this thing. Uh, looked good. Danny Lee, he's always good as a sneaky name uh, in a couple of tournaments per year. A solo fourth, Patrick Rogers at 13-under. And then T5, there was a pair of Scott Stallings and Taylor Pendrith at 12-under. Some other notable names, I guess the bigger names, uh, Dylan Fratelli was at 7-under, T22. Matthew Fitzpatrick and Mito Pereira, good young golfer there from Chile, uh, T30 at 6-under par. All right, so again, really not not much going on in this one. And... um, uh, didn't really tune into this one. I just saw a few shots from there, but uh, Bermuda is always, that's a fun fun tournament. Not a big purse tournament, so you don't get a whole lot of big names. And, of course, the names that you do recognize finished more towards the top uh, than the bottom in this thing. Uh, but that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba. Now, this used to be called the Mayakoba Golf Classic, but Worldwide Technology sponsored it, so now it is the Worldwide Technology Championship in Mayakoba. And it is at the El Camaleon Golf Course in Mayakoba, which is in Quintana Roo, Mexico. Par 71, distance 7,017 yards. So again, uh, shorter course than the CJ Cup, uh, but pretty much on on point with the same distance as uh, Shiba, uh, Naroshina Golf Course course in japan that they played at the zozo fairly decent purse and uh now that we're you know it's it's in another good good weather 
uh, area, right? Uh, Mexico is always a good place to go in the fall. A uh, few big name guys in this one. Uh, this as as we record this, the first round has already been played, and Matthew Wolf opened with a ten under par round of sixty one, which is unbelievable. He went thirty thirty one uh, on his front and back, and uh, just really looks looks like he's in control of this thing for now. But Wolf is kind of sporadic. We'll see if he holds on to it. Some other big name golfers uh, you got. Uh, Victor Hovland, Sergio Garcia, um, I guess you can throw Russell Henley in there, Scotty Scheffler, Tony Finau, uh, Dylan Fratelli, you know, there's Justin Thomas is playing in this thing, Matt Kuchar, so uh, Patrick Reed, um, you know, so there there's some big name players, uh, Tyrell Hatton, so we'll see how this thing turns out, like I said, as we record this, the First round's already been played, and Wolf came out flying in that one. So, um, PGA Tour's been been doing good. You know, it's this is kind of their the start of the new season, so you haven't had as many big name guys per se in all these events. Uh, of course, the CJ Cup was probably the one where the most biggest name guys were playing. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we're we're looking good, and before we know it, here we'll be. Um, heading to some major championships here uh, in the spring. But for now, let's uh, we can enjoy the golf and um, the beginning of their new 2021-2022 season. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, and we have officially crowned a World Series champion. But before we get to that, uh, we'll recap the ALCS and the NLCS. Now, if you recall, in the American League Championship Series, it was the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros. Now Boston, of course, they had beaten the Yankees in the wild card game and then pretty much cleaned out the Tampa Bay Rays in four games to advance to the ALCS, whereas Houston, they had only beaten the Chicago White Sox in four games All right, to get to the ALCS. So uh, it was a good, on paper, it was a great, uh, great matchup. Boston had been playing really well. Of course, Houston... Uh, they've they've been in the last five years they've been kind of dominant here in Major League Baseball but uh, the series went down uh, I predicted that Houston would win and Houston did end up winning in six games uh, and your uh, ALCS MVP was Jordan Alvarez he was just mashing the ball uh, had an average around 400 I think it was high threes is what he finished the series with but um, Houston is your American League champion uh, to represent the American League in the uh, World Series. Now, on the National League side, the National League Championship Series was the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, to get to the NLCS, the Dodgers, of course, beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the wild card game and then advanced to play the San Francisco Giants in a series that featured two teams with over 100 wins. Uh, the Dodgers ended up winning that in five games to move on to the NLCS. And, of course, the Braves, uh, they finished as the third seed, so they only had to get through the Milwaukee Brewers, which the Brewers were the higher seed uh, in that series, and the Braves ended up winning three games to one. So um, pretty surprising result there. 
Um, I had predicted that Milwaukee would win, but uh, the Braves just continue to prove everybody wrong. So that set up the NLCS of Atlanta and Los Angeles. Now, I predicted that the Dodgers would win the World Series at the beginning of the year, and I, of course, I predicted that they would beat Atlanta in this series, but such was not the case. Uh, Atlanta came out swinging and did not care about that outrageous payroll of the Dodgers and that stacked team that they have, and Atlanta beat the Dodgers in six games to move on to the World Series, which uh, that was pretty surprising. The Dodgers are kind of uh, reeling now because who knows what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer and his legal stuff. Max Scherzer, uh, not sure if he's uh, under contract uh, after that trade deadline, but we'll see. And then we got, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, Trey Turner. They traded for him. He's He'll be on the Dodgers roster next year. You know, Cody Bellinger, what do they do with him? So there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of turnover potentially in Los Angeles. So that'll be interesting to see how their offseason unfolds. But that sets up the World Series. It was the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves. Now for Houston, the American League champion, this was their third World Series appearance in the last five years. Okay, they've been in and around this thing since 2017, you know, when they won, and that's when the cheating scandal happened. And, you know, my my personal thing on that, you know, they're, they're probably the most hated team in baseball. But, uh, you know, every team in baseball cheats. Your goal is to steal the other team's signs because if you can pick up their signs, uh, that's how you successfully – uh, are able to tell maybe what pitches are coming or if they're stealing or whatever. And uh, Houston just got caught. I mean, they're they're the team that got caught. But every every baseball team uh, tries to steal signs. That's just part of the game. So I don't personally have a – I mean, they're a good team. It's not a coincidence that they've been in three World Series the last five years. So um, I liked their lineup better than the Braves in this one. Now, in the National League champion Braves, this is their first World Series appearance uh, since 1999, which is 22 years. Of course, their last World Series win was in 1995, so uh, 26 years ago, basically. And so, uh, but, you know, the Braves come into this thing, they, they were the first team uh, in MLB history to have all four of their infielders hit 25 or more home runs in the regular season. So, uh, they had some pop, and they were doing this all without Ronald Acuna, which, um, you know, they lost Acuna, I guess, roughly halfway through the season, maybe a little before the halfway point to a torn ACL, and uh, they still managed to, you know, make it to the World Series. Now, which is funny, um, they were the only team uh, in the playoffs not to win 90 games. So they had 89 wins. So they were the uh, the only team in the entire playoffs that had fewer than 90 wins, and all they do is move on to the World Series. Now, last year, the World Series, uh, of course, it was at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas. Um, the Dodgers ended up winning. Uh, it wasn't really because of the way it was with the, the COVID protocols and everything last fall. You know, it wasn't uh, really kind of a hit per se as far as viewership goes. But this this World Series was a lot different. Viewership was up uh, at least game one. Uh, I think game one and game two, they announced the stats that viewership was up 17.5%, uh, which that drew... It, the first couple games drew an average of 
uh, about 10.9 million viewers, uh, which again is a 17.5% increase from last year's World Series. And that just goes to show you that, you know, uh, fans being in, in, in the stands and uh, baseball being back to normal uh, really kind of had a lot to do with that. But the uh, World Series, Jorge Soler just blasted leadoff home run at the beginning of game one, which was the first ever leadoff home run at the top of the first inning in game one of a World Series game ever, which I thought was very interesting. And uh, more on Soler in a minute. But game two, the World Series, Braves rookie uh, pitcher Ian Anderson, he was the he threw five no hit innings uh, in in the in that game too, which made him the first rookie to do so, throwing five no hit innings in a World Series game since nineteen twelve, which is over a hundred years. So the Braves came out looking good. Game three, they started Dylan Lee, the Braves did, and he became the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to make his first ever Major League start in a World Series game. Now, he only lasted a third of an inning, uh, walked walked a guy, gave up a couple hits, a run, so they yanked him pretty quick. But when the World Series was over, Atlanta ended up winning uh, in six games, four games to two. They won it uh, in game six in Houston, and uh, that game was looking pretty tight for the first two and a half innings. And then the aforementioned Jorge Soler just hit an absolute moonshot of a home run that was one of those no doubters as soon as he hit it he threw his bat down turned around looked at the bench beat his chest you knew it was gone it actually ended up going out of Minute Maid Park which uh, was just an absolutely incredible home run landed in the street out there in Houston and uh, he would go on to win World Series MVP Solaire hit three home runs in the World Series, which was one more than the entire Astros team hit. Uh, the Astros only had two home runs in the World Series, both of which came off the bat of Jose Altuve. And uh, the the World Series was pretty much dominated by the Braves. For some reason, their bullpen um, with, with Matzik and uh, Will Smith closing the games out, just uh, tough to beat there. That Astros lineup could not figure them out. So your World Series champion, the Atlanta Braves. It's their first World Series, like I just mentioned, since 1995. And they became the first team since 1964 to win the World Series after having a losing record at the All-Star break. So they didn't even get to 500 until August. And again, I mentioned uh, earlier they were the first team, or the only team, rather, in the playoffs this year that did not win 90 games, at least. So uh, definitely... Uh, Quite the team, quite the season, and again, they did all of that. Uh, they lost uh, Ronald Acuna, and I want to say June or early July. Uh, so they had uh, been without their leadoff hitter and spark of the lineup, one of their best players for much of the season, and they ended up uh, winning that World Series despite that. So um, now I saw this thing. Uh, to the Braves, uh, they sold more merchandise in 30 minutes after winning the World Series than any other team in history. Now, that was per Fanatics. Now, Fanatics is the big merchandise apparel site that you buy uh, merchandise from. But So they sold more merchandise in 30 minutes 
after winning the World Series than any other team in history. So a lot of Braves fans. It's obviously one of the, the storied uh, baseball franchises. Uh, but uh, first World Series victory in 26 years. So congrats to the Braves on a heck of a year. We roll into the offseason now. There's going to be a lot of big big name free agents. I know Nick Castellanos of the Reds just uh, opted out of his contract, so he'll be a free agent. Carlos Correa, the Houston Astros, he'll be a free agent. There's a bunch of other big name players that are going to be on the move this year. So we'll obviously keep you updated on that as we go throughout the uh, offseason and the winter meetings. So uh, stay stay tuned for all, all the latest MLB uh, news and updates as we get them here in the off season, but we'll move on to the National Football League. Do a standings update there. We are in Week Nine of the NFL season, and Week Nine officially kicked off last night with the New York Jets traveling to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Uh, they got thumped. The Colts. Uh, the final score was forty-five thirty, but the game was not that close. Jonathan Taylor proving to be one of the best running backs in the league. But that started us off on week nine. So we'll do a standings updates. We've had some teams that have had bye weeks. Other teams have not. Uh, and then, of course, that first game of week nine. So this is the most current up-to-date standings as of this recording. Uh, in the We'll do the uh, American Football Conference first. AFC East, the Buffalo Bills are at 5-2. and two. Uh, they're looking good. Josh Allen is rolling. They have the number one scoring offense and the number one scoring defense as well. So you put that combination together and you're going to have a very successful season. So uh, the Bills look like they're in control of that division. Now only a game back from them, uh, or half game currently, is the New England Patriots at 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Mac Jones is top 10 in the NFL in passing yards. Uh, he's proving to be the best rookie quarterback uh, in that uh, coveted rookie draft class from this past year. Uh, the Patriots just keep doing their thing. I would not be surprised if they snuck into wild card spot. I do not see them overtaking the Bills for the division lead or win at any point, but uh, I can certainly see the Patriots making as a wild card team. The New York Jets are two and six. Miami Dolphins one and seven. Just a complete and utter travesty there. Uh, two is hurt again. His hand. He's. Uh, been practicing this week. We'll see if he plays, but uh, the Dolphins were rumored to be in the Deshaun Watson trade market, uh, but they pulled out before the deadline. Uh, over in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens. This is probably the most competitive division in football currently at the moment, the AFC North. Uh, all four teams are 500 or better, which uh, there's a couple divisions. Them and the AFC West is the only division that that's the case, but um, this division, the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens, currently are five and two. Uh, they are ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals, who are five and three. The Bengals just lost an absolute stinker in Week Eight to the New York Jets. I think they got caught looking ahead to the Browns game, and uh, the Jets uh, managed to beat the Bengals. But Bengals are five and three. They look good. I, I would assume that they'll be in the playoffs. That offense, Jamar Chase is looking really good. Uh, in fact, you know, with his issues in the offseason, dropping dropping balls in, in the training camp in the preseason, Jamar Chase, through seven weeks, had 754 receiving yards, which was the most ever through the first seven games of a player's career in NFL history. Even more so, I think the next second was he passed Randy Moss for that. So 
Chase has been every bit as good as advertised. Him and Burrow, the connection is is very apparent. And I like the Bengals to um, to at least make the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they're four and three. They had a big win over Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland's four and four. Uh, they they went into Cleveland in Week Eight and beat them. The Steelers did so. Uh, I like the steel. You know my, something about Mike Tomlin, man. Uh, the Steelers don't have the best roster. Uh, their defense is good. Roethlisberger's old and washed up. It's it's clear that this is if this isn't his last year, then next year probably will be. He just doesn't have a lot left in the tank. They're on a three game winning streak though, so I do like that. Steelers are playing good. Heinz Field's always a tough place to play. I just mentioned Cleveland. They're at the bottom of the division, but they're four and four. There's been a lot of uproar this past week with uh, Odell Beckham. Uh, he has officially uh, been released from the Browns, making him a free agent. He's got to clear waivers first. Um, you know, the debate was: Is Baker Mayfield and the Browns a better team, better quarterback, better team without Odell? And I believe that they came to the conclusion that they are a better team without him. I know Odell's dad had posted a video, an 11-minute video on social media about how Baker Mayfield just ignores him, doesn't look for him, and passes, and uh, and it's just been not a good situation for, for Cleveland. He only has like 1,700 yards total in the three seasons uh, that he's been on Cleveland. So it'll be curious to see, or I'll be curious to see where Odell Beckham ends up. But over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they're six and two. Uh, they're leading the division over the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, they've beaten the Colts in both games, so they do not play the Colts again. But they're six and two. They just lost their All-Pro running back Derrick Henry to a foot injury. He's probably out for the rest of the year. Uh, potential return around the playoffs if they make it. So we'll have more on that in a minute. But the Colts are four and five. Uh, they looked really good last night. Now, they played the Jets, but uh, their defense is good. Carson Wentz has kind of had a resurgence here this last three or four weeks, uh, looking like uh, he's the you know he's the quarterback that they went out and got and gave up a potential first-round pick for. Then you have Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-6, Houston Texans at 1-7. Neither of those teams are going anywhere. Uh, Houston, just on the eye test, might be the worst team in football. Uh, Jacksonville's right there. Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, it's, it's he's had his welcome to the NFL moment uh, plenty of times in the first eight weeks of the year. Um, over in the AFC West, this is the other division that all four teams are at least 500 or better, and it's not who you'd think is at the top. The Las Vegas Raiders, uh, they're 5-2. and two. Now They obviously just lost wide receiver Henry Ruggs. They released him after his... Uh, horrific car crash, which he was, uh, he got arrested for DUI, going 156 miles an hour, crashed into the back of uh, an innocent person, and the car caught fire, and the female in the car was killed. Just a tr- complete tragedy. Uh, so Ruggs is no longer, uh, his career obviously is in serious jeopardy. Uh, but the Raiders are still uh, clinging to first place at five and two. The Los Angeles Chargers are four and three. They lost at home to the Patriots this past week in Week Eight. Uh, Herbert wasn't completely healthy. Uh, he's rumored to be healthy now, heading into Week Nine. So we'll see how that goes. But I like the Chargers. Austin Eckler's back in the mix. The dude just gets—he seems to get a touchdown every game he plays. Uh, and now third in that division. 
uh, are Kansas City Chiefs at four and four. They have the same record as the Denver Broncos. Now the Chiefs, you know, they've they've been struggling to get to five hundred. They barely beat the New York Giants on Monday night. Uh, took a field goal with a minute left to beat the Giants. Uh, Chiefs are just not the same. Offensively, they are. You know, they can put up points. Now Mahomes has not looked like Mahomes that we're used to seeing, but that offense is still lethal. Still would not want to try and stop them uh, in a two-minute drive. But um, the Denver Broncos, they're 4-4. Four and four. They uh, they started out 3-0, and so they're 1-3 and three over their last four games. Their offense just, just looks pitiful. Um, you know, they got Teddy Bridgewater. They have a slew of weapons. You know, Cortland Sutton, uh, has been a, he's been good this year. Tim Patrick's filled the void while Jerry Judy was out for six weeks. Judy just came back. And, of course, they got Noah Fant and Albert O as their two tight ends that are weapons. And then Melvin Gordon has kind of found something here, too. Uh, Javante Williams provides a good spark. So, uh, But the Broncos' offense, it just seems like you watch these games, you see the box score, it just seems like they're stuck in neutral throughout the whole game. I, I just I don't understand Denver's offense. And I say that because I have several of those guys in fantasy football, and it's like it, it just – they can never get it completely going. The Broncos are never going to score 40 points. Like, you know, you have your offenses that you know can score 40 at will, and then you have Denver. It's just like they're 4-4, and but um, I I just don't see them making the playoffs in the AFC with how many good competitive teams there are. But over in the National Football Conference, the NFC East, my Dallas Cowboys are 6-1. and They went on the road... Uh, Sunday night in Minnesota, and they beat the Vikings with backup quarterback Cooper Rush at the helm, which was just a huge victory. Uh, it was a organizational decision to sit Dak an extra week to have his calf heal, dealing with a calf strain, and they looked good. Um, the offense is the best in the league, and the defense has been proving uh, to be a at least a top-half defense, top-15 defense in the league. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles are three and five. Uh, they they look good one week and terrible the next. Uh, Jalen Hurts, if he could play the first half like he plays the second half, uh, Philly would probably be five and three instead of three and five. Now, um, that's just, that's a situation worth monitoring. Um, I, I don't think the Eagles are going to catch the Cowboys at all at any point for the division. So, uh, that'll be interesting to see how they choose to play out the rest of their season. They're still very much, well, I say that, they're not, the, the NFC is far more competitive than the AFC this year, just uh, due to the number of top heavy teams. Uh, you know, there's four teams uh, that are have one loss and then two teams that have two losses. So it's it's going to be super competitive in the NFC. The Washington football team and the New York Giants are both two and six. They are irrelevant. Uh, Washington's defense has been an absolute letdown compared to the expectation that was set forth uh, after they won the NFC East last year. Over in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, they're 7-1. and one. Uh, They will not have Aaron Rodgers this week in Week 9. He tested positive for COVID. He is uh, unvaccinated, come to find out, and uh, that's going to cost him at least one game. So, 
Jordan Love is going to get his first NFL start against the Kansas City Chiefs, but they have a stranglehold on that division because Minnesota's second at three and four. Uh, their schedule doesn't get any easier for the Vikings after they lost to Dallas on Sunday night. Chicago Bears are three and five, and you know it. The Bears, uh, they've been hanging around. Some they've lost three games in a row. They started out three and two, lost three games in a row. Justin Fields finally looked like the the high draft pick that he was picked to be uh, this past week. But the Bears, man, they just, uh, they're the most mediocre team. Uh, they somehow are, n- like, they haven't been terrible, but they're not good. And I wouldn't even say, I mean, mediocre might be pushing it. Uh, their offense, speaking of offenses that are terrible, it's the Bears. You know, like, Allen Robinson is probably dying to get out of Chicago. Uh, but at least they're not the Detroit Lions. Uh the Detroit Lions are 0-8, the only team without a win. I said Houston might be the worst team on the eye test. Uh, that might, that's got to be Detroit, right? Uh, Goff has been an absolute flop. Now, he doesn't have a whole lot of help, but uh, the Lions are just – I'd be shocked if the Lions won a game this year. They've had a couple of close ones, uh, but it is, it is looking like a 1-16 a uh, season for them. Now, over in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're 6-2. and two. They just lost in Week 8 to the New Orleans Saints, who are 5-2. and two. Now, the Buccaneers, though, in Week 7, Tom Brady threw his 600th uh, touchdown pass. It was to Mike Evans. Now, Mike Evans ended up um, giving that ball away, unbeknownst to him, gave it to a fan. So they had to go get the ball back, and... Of course, because it's the most first player in NFL history to throw for 600 touchdowns. And the fan that had the, the ball ended up giving it back, and he worked it out with Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization. So here's what he ended up getting uh, for that ball. He got a helmet, uh, two jerseys and a helmet, all signed by Tom Brady. He got a Mike Evans-signed jersey, $1,000 to the Bucks team store, and two season tickets for the rest of this year and all of next year. He also, uh, Tom Brady, threw in one Bitcoin, which has a value of about 60000 all for that one football, which is valued to be at least uh, $500,000. So um, he probably came out on the losing end monetarily, but he got quite a bit of stuff. But that's just uh, the Buccaneers, you know, they, they look, they've looked really good all year. Then they go and lose to New Orleans at the Superdome this past week. Now, New Orleans, I said they're 5-2. and two. They look good. They're getting Taysom Hill back. Um, we'll talk about this in a minute. But they lost Jameis Winston for the year to a torn ACL. Uh, but they're getting – Trevor Simeon looked really good in relief of that game in Tampa – or against Tampa. And uh, they get Taysom Hill back this week. So we'll see how the Saints do to finish out. I certainly believe them to be a playoff team. Carolina Panthers are 4-4. Four and four. Uh, McCaffrey's been on the shelf for five or six weeks. He's still questionable this week. If he doesn't play in week nine, he'll play in week ten probably for sure. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons are three and four. Uh, they're not going anywhere. And then over in the NFC West, probably the most top-heavy division, you got the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams, both at seven and one. Kyler Murray sprained his ankle last week against Green Bay. He's questionable here in week nine. But uh, Arizona's looking really good. 
that offense is buzzing. The Rams, Matthew Stafford, what a revelation he's been in that Rams offense. Cooper Cup, too. Stafford and Cup have just an absolutely unbelievable connection. Cooper Cup has 984 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns so far through eight games, which uh, he's on pace to shatter Randy Moss's uh, 24 touchdowns, or 22 touchdowns that he had in the 07 season with the Patriots. Um, that's just an unbelievable connection. That offense is is frightening. And then they just got Von Miller in a trade. We'll talk about that as well. So their defense just got vastly improved as well. So uh, that that division, that's gonna both of those teams are gonna be in the playoffs. San Francisco 49ers, they've been very disappointing this year. They're three and four. And then the Seattle Seahawks, they lost Russell Wilson a few weeks ago to his thumb injury. Uh, he might be back after week 10, perhaps, potentially in week 10 next week, but uh, maybe by week 11 he'll be back. Uh, so the Seahawks are, are at the bottom right now. I, you can never count the Seahawks out, especially when they get Russell Wilson back. Chris Carson also hasn't played since, I think, week three uh, or four with a neck injury. So uh, he's due to come back potentially sometime soon here in the next couple weeks. So uh, they get healthy. Seattle can certainly make the playoffs here in the NFC. Uh, I like them better than all the other third and fourth place teams that would be fighting for a wild card. But, um, yeah, so the NFL has provided – Quite a bit of entertainment. We're about halfway through the season. Uh, today, as I record this, is the 100-day mark until the Super Bowl. So uh, just just over three months until the Super Bowl. But either way, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a good competitive uh, NFL season here the rest of the way. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update in the NHL. Uh, teams have played between eight and eleven games out of the 82 on the slate. So we are uh, between an, an eighth and a tenth of the way through the NHL season. Doesn't seem like we've played that many games so far, but uh, we have, and we're moving right along in the NHL season. Start off in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. The Carolina Hurricanes, they're 9-0. and They've won all nine of their games so far, looking really good. Uh, don't want to mess with them right now. The New York Rangers are 6-2-2. Two and two. Washington Capitals are 5-1-4. and four. Uh, Alex Ovechkin had nine goals in the month of October. He's uh, starting out strong on his quest to eventually capture Wayne Gretzky for the most goals in NHL history. I think he needs to average uh, 45, 40-something goals over the next three or four years in order to catch him, uh, which he's starting out pretty good uh, for that this year. Philadelphia Flyers and their revamped roster they're five two and two to start. Columbus Blue Jackets are six and three. They've uh, won a couple games in a row here, and they just lost Patrick Line for four to six weeks. So that's a big blow for them. The uh, Eastern Conference finalists from last year, New York Islanders, they're four two and two. Uh, probably wish they were a little higher, uh, given their success last year, but uh, still very early in the year. The Pittsburgh Penguins are four three and two. Sidney Crosby didn't play until uh, they've played nine games. I think Crosby he's only played in one game. It took him seven games before he was healthy enough to get in the lineup. He plays a game and then tested positive for COVID. So a uh, rough start to the year for Crosby and the Penguins. Uh, but again, they're they're a perennial playoff team. I would fully expect them to at least be in the mix 
Uh, we might start to see them uh, climb up the standings here once Crosby comes back. Uh, last place in the Metropolitan Divisions, the New Jersey Devils at 4-3-1. and one. Now, They lost their star center, Jack Hughes, to a dislocated shoulder, probably going to miss the next uh, four to six weeks as well as he continues recovering from that. Uh, over in the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers. Uh, they were really good last year, and they have continued that success this year. Uh, they're 9-0-1. They had actually won their first nine games of the year, like Carolina, but then they lost in overtime the other night. Uh, they look really good. Um, that division is rough. It's rugged because you got Toronto, who's 6-4-1, uh, four-game winning streak for the Leafs. And then you got the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, 5-3-2. and two. Lightning didn't start out as good. I think they... They lost like three of their first four games or something so far uh, to start the year, but they're 5-3-2. and two. Uh, They're looking good. They still have one of the best lineups. They lost Nikita Kucherov uh, to long-term IR. I think it's going to be a situation like it was last year where Kucherov misses most uh, of the regular season and then comes back at the end of the season, beginning of playoffs, to give them a bolstered lineup. The Buffalo Sabres somehow are in fourth place in the Atlantic right now at 5-4-1. and one. Uh, they have lost three games in a row, too, in that. So um, they were really good to start the first uh, five or six games and then uh, have just completely fallen apart. They've traded their center or their star center, Jack Eichel, in a, in a trade this past week. We'll talk about that in Around the Island. Uh, so I would expect their free fall down the Atlantic standings to continue. Boston Bruins, they've only played eight games. They're five and three won a couple in a row. I would suspect Boston to be uh, in the mix at the end. They still have Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron, and McAvoy, who just got paid. So uh, I would fully expect the Bruins to be a top three team in this division at the end of the year. Sixth is the Detroit Red Wings. They're 4-5-2. and two. They've lost three in a row, uh, but they're in full-blown rebuild youth movement there in Detroit. They have two sensational rookies and Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. Raymond had a hat trick last week, and Moritz Sider, the defenseman, he was named NHL's Rookie of the Month for October. So uh, full-on youth movement in Detroit, and uh, I like what I'm seeing from that young team. They're going to be very good uh, in a couple years, uh, but they're still, again, they're a couple years from being relevant. The Ottawa Senators are 3-6-1. and one. Uh, Not much going on there. They're pretty much in a similar boat to Detroit and the youth movement. A lot of young young kids playing there in Ottawa. Uh, and then the Montreal Canadiens. This has been probably one of the more surprising uh, showings thus far in the NHL through uh, 8 to 12 games. Uh, Montreal's played 12 games, which is the most in the league up to this point. They're the defending Eastern Conference champions, right? And they're 3-9, and nine, uh, just absolutely horrible. Now, they've not had Carey Price. Carey Price is due to come back uh, probably in the next couple weeks, so once they get him back, they should have a little more consistency with winning. But their sensational rookie from last year, Cole Caulfield, who took the playoffs by storm, he started the year on the team uh, here uh, in Montreal, but then just past week just got sent down to the AHL affiliate, the Lavelle Rockets, and I'm not really sure why. Uh, I guess he's he's been struggling this year, but uh, I don't know if it's a confidence move or, or what they're trying to do, but Caulfield's down in, in Lavelle right now. Uh, should be back up with Montreal before too long, but uh, 
stay tuned on that. But over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, the St. Louis Blues are 7-1-1. I think they won their first six games to open the year, seven games maybe, uh, before losing either their last two or two out of the last three. Uh, But they're still up top in the Central. Uh, Good team. Tarasenko is finally healthy, playing well. Uh, The Winnipeg Jets, they're 5-2-2. Now, they started out brutal. Uh, I think they lost... uh, three of their four first games or four of the first five, something like that. They were not in good shape, but they've turned it around uh, in that division. Minnesota Wild are 6-3. and three. The Nashville Predators are 5-5. Five and five. They were like that last year. Not a whole lot of overtime games for Nashville. Uh, they, either, they either win or they lose, you know, in regulation. And uh, interesting there. Uh, Dallas Stars, they're – Middle of the pack in Central, they're 4-4-2. They just frustrate the hell out of me, man. Uh, They get down by two goals, three goals. They tie it. They go to overtime. And whatever happens in overtime happens, but they get a point. That's kind of their MO, which that's their payroll says they need to be better than that. Tyler Sagan's healthy. Uh, They need to be be in that top three in the Central. So uh, we'll see how... How long that can last, but that is not a winning recipe there for the stars. But um, I hope they can prove me wrong. Colorado, they're sixth in the central. That has probably been uh, they were the odds-on favorite to win the Stanley Cup when the season started, I believe. Uh, at least the betting favorite to win the Stanley Cup, and they're four, four, and one through nine games. Uh, have not looked great. I haven't been completely healthy. I think they had some COVID issues, but. Um, Either way, the Avs have been very disappointing this year. The Chicago Blackhawks are 1-8-2. and two. Uh, They didn't get their first win until this past week. Um, Patrick Kane had a hat trick in that game. Um, he looks every bit the part of Patrick Kane, you would expect. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, 0-9-1 through 10 games. Have not won a game. They've lost, uh, you know, all of their games, and it's just... Nothing really happening there in Arizona. I would expect them to probably be camped out in that eight spot in the Central Division for the entire year. Now over in the Pacific Division, this has been a rather surprising division. Um, Edmonton Oilers, they're up top at 8-1. and one. Uh, That duo of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, um, Dreisaitl was like the third or fourth fastest player to 20 points in NHL history so far this year. McDavid's right behind him. And, uh, man, those two just, uh, how do you stop them? Uh, Edmonton looks legit. They've won three in a row. And uh, I fully suspect that Edmonton's going to be in contention for that division uh, here as we move along through the season. Calgary Flames, they're 6-1-3. and three. Um, They've had two overtime losses in a row. Uh, but they look good. Um, they're right on the heels of Edmonton. So far, the Battle of Alberta. The San Jose Sharks, they're currently third. This has been one of the pleasant surprises so far. They're 6-4, and four, uh, and they've actually looked really solid, like a, a decent team. And uh, last year they were uh, at the bottom of the division, but so far this year they've, they've come out playing really well. The Anaheim Ducks, again, another team that's surprising. They're 4-4-3 four, four, and three through 11 games. They've won two in a row. I think they were the last place team or second to last place team at the final standings last year. So they're 
they're hanging around for now. The other disappointment on top of Colorado was the Vegas Golden Knights. They're five and five through ten games. They were, um, if they weren't the odds-on favorite to win, if the if the Avalanche weren't the odds-on favorite to win the Cup, then Vegas was uh, entering this year. Vegas is just they've played five hundred hockey. Now they haven't been completely healthy. I think Max Pacioretty got hurt. Mark Stone got hurt, their captain. Uh, but they did just trade for Jack Eichel from the Buffalo Sabres. We'll get into that deal here and around the island. But uh, So I, I would expect them to to be in the playoffs for sure, uh, especially after the Eichel deal. But we'll see. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings are 4-5-1. Uh, they are kind of with the Red Wings and the Senators and the fact that they're kind of in the middle of a youth movement here. Uh, they do have some veteran players on their roster. But uh, the Kings are a young team, and uh, I would expect them to probably hang out between 6 and 8 in the Pacific Division most of the year. The Vancouver Canucks, they're 4-5-1 and one through 10 games. Again, another disappointing team. Uh, you know, not I don't know that Vancouver may have been expected to make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. I think they might be in the conversation, but uh, the start to the year they've had so far is just, uh, it's been... Uh, less than less than decent. And then at the bottom of the Pacific Division is the Seattle Kraken, the new expansion team. Uh, through 11 games, they're 4-6-1, uh, which is not bad. Uh, they won last night. Uh, Jordan Everly had the first hat trick in Seattle Kraken history, uh, so they got that out of the way. But uh, I like the Kraken. They have a good, good young roster. Um, I certainly don't expect them to be in the playoffs. They're not trending like they're going to be the Vegas team that uh, dominated the first uh, first season that they were in the league, made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. I don't see the Kraken doing that, but uh, it would not shock me if the Kraken were in the mix for a playoff spot in that division uh, as we progress. Uh, they have the players and the talent to do it. They're only three points, uh, two points back of the Ducks who are sitting in fourth. And so, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't think that they're as bad as you would normally think an expansion team is. But so, yeah, about uh, about ten percent of the way through the NHL season, so plenty of hockey to get to uh, as we move along here. We'll talk about some some trades and some some contract re-signings here and around the island. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association, do a standings update here in the NBA. Most teams have played between uh, eight and ten games or so, eight or nine games I think every team's played. So kind of in the same neighborhood as the NHL, even though the NBA started about a week and a half, two weeks after the NHL. So the NBA is kind of moving along pretty quick. They also, of course, play 82 games as well. And uh, we'll just do the standings by division at the moment. And in the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division, the Philadelphia 76ers are 7-2. and two. They're on a five-game winning streak. Uh, started out 2-2 two and two and have just kind of pulled away here this last week and a half or so. Uh, same story with the Toronto Raptors. They're 6-3. and three. They've won five in a row. Uh, they're looking uh, pretty decent. Uh, considering they they lost Kyle Lowry in the off season, the Brooklyn Nets are third in that division. Surprisingly, at five and three, uh, they've won three in a row. Kevin Durant, James Harden, finally starting to get it going. They of course have been without Kyrie Irving, uh, 
who has not cleared the uh, COVID protocol situation. He's refusing to get vaccinated, and uh, that's pretty much a requirement now to play in the NBA. So interesting development there. I mean, I'd still take Kevin Durant and James Harden as probably the top duo in the NBA, uh, even without Kyrie Irving in the picture. But, of course, they get Kyrie Irving. Uh, they'll be right there at the top. Uh, but I still think the Nets, obviously, are, are going to be there at the end. The New York Knicks have gotten off to a good start. Uh, they're 5-3, and three, although they've lost two in a row. They started out 5-1. and one. Uh, Julius Randle's picking up right where he left off last year in his all-star season. The Boston Celtics are 4-5 and five at the bottom of the Atlantic Division. Um, Central Division, Chicago Bulls. Uh, they're 6-2. and two. Now, they uh, reloaded and revamped in the offseason uh, with Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan uh, going to Chicago. That team's clicking. Uh, they play in the division with the Milwaukee Bucks. But uh, I do certainly like Chicago to be a playoff team based on what I've seen so far this year. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are actually second in the Central at 5-4. and four. And then Milwaukee uh, the aforementioned Bucks are third in the division currently at four and four, and we're still so early that none of this really makes much of a difference right now. Uh, but of course, the Bucks with Giannis and uh, Middleton, you know they're they're obviously Drew Holiday. They're going to be there. They're defending NBA champions, so they're certainly going to be there at the end. The Indiana Pacers are three and six, and then the Detroit Pistons are one and seven. They've lost three in a row. Cade uh, Cunningham has now. Played in two games. He missed the first uh, six games of the season as he was healing up uh, in the offseason. And uh, he's not had a great start. Uh, he missed his first, I think it was 18 three-pointers before he finally made one. So uh, he has not been off to a good start. He was, of course, the number one overall pick in the draft back in June. So rough start to the NBA career for Cade Cunningham. Uh, the Southeast Division, that was the that was the Central Division. The uh, Southeast Division in the Eastern Conference is uh, led by the Miami Heat at the moment, 6-2. and two. Uh, They've looked pretty good, adding Kyle Lowry to that mix. Of course, Tyler Hero is still shooting the lights out. Uh, and then Bam Adebayo as well. Uh, they just came down to Dallas and beat my Mavericks the other night. They're up top. The Washington Wizards are a game back at 5-3. and three. Um they, you know, still have Bradley Beal. I'm surprised to still see him on the Wizards team, but he's playing good. Rui Hachimura as well. Uh, number three in the Southeast Division, Charlotte Hornets are five and four. The fourth place team, the Atlanta Hawks, they're four and five. Uh, both the Hornets and the Hawks have lost two games in a row. Same with the Wizards um, on a little bit of a slide here. But the Hawks, you know, they got Trey Young, so they're going to be in contention uh, with the superstar talent like that the Orlando Magic are two and seven uh, they had two top 10 picks in the NBA draft which they used on Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner both of which have looked really good so far to start the year um, I think those two uh, I don't know about the Magic making the playoffs this year uh, certainly not the way they've performed thus far um, they're one and six against the Eastern Conference so far this year so uh, I don't really like the Magic this year, but I think in a couple years that team might be really good. Over in the Western Conference, the Northwest Division is led by the Utah Jazz. They're 7-1, and three-game winning streak. Uh, they still have, of course, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. As long as those two are in town, uh, they're going to be in contention, certainly for the conference. They, I believe, won the conference last year um, as the number one seed. 
The Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic, they're four and four, three games back of the Jazz. But uh, the Nuggets, again, uh, you know, if we expand this thing out over 82 games, I certainly would include them in the playoffs. The Minnesota Timberwolves have been a little bit of a surprise. They're three and four. They've lost three in a row. So they actually started out, they won three of their first four games, uh, which is certainly a much better clip than they were going at last year um, when they didn't even win 20 games last year, I don't think. So, uh, you know, Minnesota's looking a little better. Portland, the Trailblazers are three and five. Uh, You know, they've lost three in a row. They still have Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum. So, again, we're talking about stars making the playoffs. I think, uh, you know, Portland will be kind of in that mix to, to end the year. And then Oklahoma City, the Thunder are 2-6. and six. Now, the interesting thing about the Thunder is that their average age for their roster on opening night was 23.5 years old, which was by far the youngest in the NBA. Now, keep in mind that Oklahoma City – has 34 draft picks over the next seven drafts. So that's basically five draft picks per year for the next seven years. Now, the NBA draft is only two rounds, and so uh, a lot of those guys won't even make the roster. They'll end up in the G League or something. But 18 of those 34 draft picks that they have over the next seven years are first-round picks, which is – that is just insane. That's like six – well, it's a little more than two first-round picks per year uh, over the next seven drafts. More than an average of more than two first-round picks per year over the next seven years. So Oklahoma City, they're not going to be good this year. They're probably not going to be good next year. But uh, once they start getting a lot of that young talent in there, Oklahoma City is going to be a force to be reckoned with here uh, in the next probably five years or so. In the Pacific Division, the Golden State Warriors, a healthy Steph Curry, uh, they are just rolling. They're six and one. Uh, Phoenix Suns are defending Western Conference champion. They're four and three. They're on a three-game winning streak. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers currently sit third in that division at five and four. Um, Russell Westbrook has had one really good game and a bunch of mediocre games. He makes the best trio in the league uh, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, if you get Kyrie Irving back on Brooklyn, I do believe that is the best trio. But as far as the teams that have an actual big three at the moment, that's got to be the top trio in the league. Russ is not what he once was, but he's still a good player that is capable of dropping a triple-double in a half if he needs to. So the Lakers are certainly going to be in the playoff mix. Uh, Sacramento Kings are 4 and 4 and then the surprising uh, part of the Western Conference standings is the LA Clippers. They're 3 and 4, last place in the Pacific Division. Uh, they still have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but um, again, over the course of an 82 game season, I would fully suspect the Clippers to be in the playoffs. That division is that division might house four of the eight Western Conference playoff teams between Golden State, Phoenix, LA and LA. So uh, keep an eye on that division. That's going to be a slugfest this year. Uh, and over in the Southwest Division, my Dallas Mavericks currently lead at five and three. Uh, they've looked good. Uh, Luca is uh, is shooting the ball well. Uh, Porzingis has not been healthy, so uh, you know they can get Porzingis back and playing. Um, 
that's going to be good because Jalen Brunson, he had a 30-point game the other night. Uh, he's been he's turned into a really good player for the Mavericks. So uh, Mavericks got a lot of depth scoring. They signed a couple of good three-point shooters in the offseason. So uh, I like Dallas to, to hang around and, and be in the playoffs as well. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are also 5-3, and three, which when you think about Ja Morant, he became the uh, fastest player in history to reach 1,000 career assists in a career. So uh, you know, he's, he's at the helm. So Memphis is, uh, you know, him and Jaron Jackson, they're, they're a fun, exciting young team to watch. San Antonio Spurs, they're two and six. Houston Rockets, one and seven. And the New Orleans Pelicans are one and eight. This might be the very worst division in all of the NBA from top to bottom. Um, I think your playoff, you might only get one playoff team out of this division, possibly two. I think Dallas will be in. And uh, Memphis might be on the border. They might make the play-in tournament. Uh, but I don't see any other team making the playoffs, San Antonio, Houston, or New Orleans. Now, with New Orleans, they're 1-8, but Zion Williamson has not played. Okay, uh, He is trying to recover from, I believe, a foot injury. But uh, the Rockets have lost six in a row, and the Pelicans have lost five in a row. Again, they're going to be the bottom feeders of that division. Popovich and the Spurs you know, he can coach them to uh, to somewhere around maybe a, a 500 record, which in the Western Conference may end up getting you in the play-in tournament. But I certainly wouldn't expect much from the Spurs. But this NBA season is very young. Uh, it's just underway. And, uh, I, you know, we have so much to talk about throughout the year with the NBA. So just stay tuned on that. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, Not as jam-packed as it normally is with info, but uh, still some info to get out nonetheless. First, we'll start off in the NFL. The trade deadline passed this past week, and it was not very exciting. Of course, Major League Baseball, NBA, those trade deadlines are always uh, edge of your seat. Can't wait to see which big names get traded. Uh, Well, that was the complete opposite here in the NFL. We were checking for a pulse, actually, on that trade deadline. The biggest trade that went down, I kind of mentioned. The Rams, they acquired Vaughn Miller from the Broncos in exchange for a second and third round pick in this upcoming draft, which makes the Rams only have a uh, compensatory third round pick, fifth, sixth, and seventh round pick in this draft. So the Rams are going all in. Of course, they gave up their first round pick the next three years, for Matthew Stafford, which has turned out to be the absolute right choice. But the Rams are going all in uh, on this year. Uh, They do not have a first-round pick until 2025, I believe, and 2024 maybe. Their last first-round pick was 2016 whenever um, they drafted Jared Goff. But, uh, yeah, so the next big name that got traded was Melvin Ingram. He went from Pittsburgh to Kansas City. Now, Kansas City gave up a sixth-round pick to get him. He's not the elite Melvin Ingram from five years ago, but he is definitely serviceable, and it helps improve a Kansas City pass rush that includes Frank Clark and uh, Chris Jones and uh, maybe take a little less pressure off of that horrendous Kansas City secondary. The Houston Texans, they traded running back Mark Ingram to the New Orleans Saints. Now, Mark Ingram, of course, played for the Saints, and he um, loves it in New Orleans. He called it home. 
uh, when they talked to him about uh, get going back to New Orleans, he said it's home. And uh, he played pretty well in the first game there in week eight back with the Saints. So I uh, like, like the depth move there by the Saints. And then the final trade of note was the New York Jets. They acquired Joe Flacco from the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for a conditional sixth-round pick. Now, they did that because Zach Wilson had gotten hurt and uh, missed is going to miss several games. He's already missed a couple of games. Mike White started in Week 8 and just absolutely lit it up for 400 yards. Uh, got hurt last night in Thursday night's Week 9 opener. But uh, nonetheless, those are really the only trades that uh, went down in the trade deadline. Some some injury news. I mentioned this a while ago. The Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, all-pro running back. He's like a refrigerator that runs a 4 3 uh, he ended up with a Jones fracture in his foot uh, that he has already had surgically fixed. The time frame on that recovery is 6 to 10 weeks, so that essentially puts him out for the rest of the year, certainly rest of the regular season. I suppose if he heals quickly, progresses well, he might be back before the end of the regular season. But for fantasy purposes, Henry is done. Uh, now, Henry, he's he's 240 pounds, and he takes – about 30 touches a game, so he takes a beating, and so they're probably going to be ginger and get him back to, up to full speed, but in order to help that, they signed veteran running back Adrian Peterson to their practice squad with the intent to activate him to their active roster, but after two practices, that was all Tennessee needed to see from Peterson to activate him to their active roster. So Adrian Peterson is now currently on the active roster of the Titans. And that just goes to show you how good a shape he is in at 36 years old. Uh, I'm curious to see with that good offensive line, uh, good offense in general that the Titans run out there, I'm curious to see how well Peterson does. Now, Jerry McNichols, the other running back, he's more of a pass catcher. So Peterson's going to be the between the tackles runner. Um, I would not expect a whole lot of 100 100-yard games, but I certainly would not put it past him to uh, average in the neighborhood of between 50 to 75 uh, rushing yards per game. Over in Minnesota, the Vikings lost Pro Bowl defensive end Daniil Hunter to a torn pec muscle, and he's out for the year. That happened in the Sunday night game against Dallas this past week. And then the New Orleans Saints, they got crushed by the injury bug. Uh, quarterback Jameis Winston, he tore his ACL and suffered damage to his MCL on a horse collar type tackle in week eight against Tampa Bay. So he's out for the year. And then to add insult to injury, uh, Michael Thomas, he was projected to come back around week 10 or 11 from his ankle surgery that he had in the off season. Uh, but he had a setback in his ankle recovery injured it again, and he's now done for the year. So the Saints, uh, you know, they are getting Taysom Hill back this week. Uh, he had missed the last three games due to a concussion, but he is due to come back. But the Saints just can't catch a break. But uh, at least they got Mark Ingram to help kind of offset the loss there um, on offense. But uh, over in the NHL, we got one big trade to recap here. And I mentioned it already, Buffalo. They traded their former captain, number two overall pick in 2016, Jack Eichel. They traded uh, Jack Eichel and a third-round pick in 2023 to the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for Alex Tuck, 
uh, Peyton Krebs, who was a first-round pick back in 2019, uh, a first-round pick in this 2022 draft, and a third-round pick in 2023. So Buffalo got quite the haul back for Jack Eichel, and Jack Eichel actually is dealing with a neck injury. He's not even uh, playing right now, and he's probably going to have surgery uh, here in the next uh, couple weeks. So I don't know how much time he'll miss, but he may not join Vegas until the end of the year. But nonetheless, he is a golden knight, and he is out of the misery that is Buffalo. There's a couple of defensemen that got signed, big-name defensemen in Toronto. They re-signed defenseman Morgan Riley to an eight-year, $60 million contract extension. That's $7.5 million per year. Uh, and over in New York, the Rangers, they signed reigning Norris Trophy winner Adam Fox to a seven-year, $66.5 million contract, which is an average of 9.5 per year. That's the largest in NHL history for a defenseman. Now, that being said, we've seen a lot of these. Uh, even on last episode, we talked about several other big-name defensemen. Charlie McAvoy comes to mind in that um, to receive seven- or eight-year deals. Uh, that just kind of seems to be uh, the way that the NHL is going. Lock up your good young players on a seven- or eight-year mega deal. Uh, eat up a lot of the cap, but... Um, you know, it's that's that's the way to do it because it brings your average annual value down. Uh, your cap hit per year is less. Um, over in Florida, the Panthers. Okay, they're they're playing. I mentioned they're nine zero and one, playing fantastic hockey. But their head coach Joel Quenville he resigned this past week, and that was in the wake of the Chicago Blackhawks uh, sexual abuse case. Now, if you don't know much about that, you can Google the story. But Joel Quenville was the coach of the Chicago Blackhawks when uh, an alleged sexual abuse incident happened. So bad news there for Quenville. He had those Panthers playing really well. Um, I think he's he's one of the better coaches that we've seen in the NHL, at least in recent memory. Uh, so I'm curious to see how the Panthers deal with that and handle that. Um, they actually had lost their first game after he resigned. But... Um, We'll see how they do. Panthers are still a good team. Over in Major League Baseball, uh, the Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, he is leaving Oakland to become the new manager of the San Diego Padres. So he's moving from Northern California to Southern California, from the American League to the National League. Of course, Padres had fired Jace Tingler after another disappointing year in which they missed the playoffs. Uh, With that roster... That payroll, absolutely no excuse for the Padres to miss the playoffs, and that's exactly what they did. So Tingler got fired. Bob Melvin has done nothing but great things with the A's over the last three years or so, uh, making them a perennial uh, decent team that's always in the playoff hunt. So uh, I think Melvin's going to have some success there in San Diego. Good change of scenery for them. Uh, and then a retirement in baseball. Longtime San Francisco Giants catcher Buster Posey set to announce his retirement from Major League Baseball. In fact, he just did last night at his press conference for retirement. Posey was a former first-round pick. Uh, he won the NL Rookie of the Year in 2010. And in 2012, he won NL MVP and the batting title as a catcher, which is incredible. He also won a gold glove in 2016. He's a three-time World Series champion, seven-time All-Star, 
four-time Silver Slugger, and his career batting average was 302. I was definitely north of 300 this year. Uh, had him on my fantasy baseball team. Uh, very good player. <clears throat> um, definitely going to the Hall of Fame, for sure. Uh, with that resume, certainly will be headed to Cooperstown one day. Now, over in the NBA, real quick, one thing of note, the Memphis Grizzlies and young uh, star forward Jaron Jackson Jr., they have agreed to a four-year, $105 million rookie contract extension. So about 20, a little over $20 million, $25 million rather, per year for Jaron Jackson. First, first round pick a few years ago. So uh, he is locked up to be Ja Morant's running mate for the next uh, at least four years. But over in the NCAA, college football, a lot of stuff here, and it all revolves around coaches getting fired or leaving. There was several. Uh, The first one, probably the most shocking, was LSU. Uh, LSU and head coach Ed Ogeron, they reached a separation agreement. And that means that uh, Orgeron is not going to return in 2022. He's going to complete this season as head coach but he will not be returning. So there will be a vacancy there in Baton Rouge. This is completely unprecedented in college football, right? Uh, Remember that 2019 uh, national championship team that LSU had with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire? The list goes on. Uh, Basically an NFL team that was trotting out there on Saturdays. Yeah, well, since then... Uh, they've had a winning or had a losing record last year, losing record this year. They play Alabama this weekend. They're going to get killed probably. Uh, just 21 months after winning that national title back in 2019, Ogeron is leaving the program. So that is uh, something we've not seen before. Um, so uh, Coach O is a heck of a coach. I'm not, you know, I, I get why they're doing it, but. Um, I'm curious to see who's going to take that spot. I have some ideas, um, but we'll get into that in a minute. Over in uh, Pullman, Washington, Washington State football team, their head coach, Nick Rolovich, he was fired a couple weeks ago after refusing to become vaccinated for COVID, which is a requirement for all Washington State employees. Okay, And multiple unvaccinated assistant coaches were also fired. Jake Dickert, who is the defensive coordinator for the Cougars, is the interim coach. Now, Washington State, the deadline had passed for all of their state employees to become fully vaccinated or receive an exemption. Uh, Rolovich was in the process of seeking a religious exemption, but had not cleared by the time the university committee ruled. So he got fired. He is appealing his firing. So Stay tuned on that. I'm sure there's a lawsuit coming for that either way, but um, I do believe that uh, uh, that is a story worth following. Uh, Down in Lubbock, Texas here, uh, Texas Tech, they have fired their head coach, Matt Wells, in just his third season with the team. Uh, Wells was hired in 2019 to take over for Cliff Kingsbury, who, of course, jetted for the NFL and the Arizona Cardinals. And in his two and a half seasons with the Red Raiders, Matt Wells had a 13-17 and 17 overall record, so just a little under 500. But he was off to a 5-3 and three start this year before getting fired. So I think it's very interesting timing on Wells. I, there might be more to the story on this. I don't know why you would hire uh, or fire 
a coach halfway through the year uh, in a five and three season. Um, you know, he's he hasn't really turned Texas Tech's program around uh, in the manner that he hoped, probably. But um, five and three is still respectable through eight games. Um, but yeah, he's. He's gone, so there's a vacancy there as well in Lubbock. And then the most surprising one, I thought, uh, maybe outside of Ogeron and LSU, was TCU. Head coach Gary Patterson and the TCU Horned Frogs, they have agreed to mutually part ways after Gary Patterson's 22 years with the program. He spent two years as an assistant coach, and this was his 20th year as the head coach of the Horned Frogs. Now, the difference between him and Ed Ogeron uh, is that Patterson's not finishing this season. He is done-done. So Ogeron is at least finishing this year. Gary Patterson is not. He is officially gone. Uh, I like him to potentially take that LSU spot. With with how good of a defensive coach Gary Patterson is, I think he would be uh, a good fit there in Baton Rouge. Because Patterson, let's face it, TCU 20 years ago was completely irrelevant as a football program. Patterson took them and made them relevant. Uh, he got them into the BCS National Championship-type playoffs uh, with Andy Dalton and crew. Uh, multiple 10-win seasons over the last 8 to 10 years. Um, he's a fantastic coach. His players believe in him. And I'm really, truly surprised uh, that he is not going to be at TCU. And then from coaches getting fired to a coach getting hired, Former USC head coach Clay Helton, who of course got fired earlier this year, he agreed to a deal to become the head coach of Georgia Southern. So he goes to a much, uh, much uh, less stressful program there in Georgia Southern. Um, so I thought that was noteworthy as well. Uh, that deal just went down this week. But uh, that is all the info I have for you on episode 53. I hope you enjoyed that as well. Um, with hockey and basketball so young in their seasons, we have plenty to talk about over the next uh, bunch of episodes. So be sure and tune into those. This podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So uh, until next episode, stay safe, be well, and we'll talk to you next time.